Hello and welcome to Future Thinking from Stylus. I'm your host, Christian Ward, Head of Media and Marketing at Stylus. Today we're going to be discussing the subject of body inclusivity, looking at how brands and media are succeeding or sometimes failing to bust body stereotypes and promote more diverse and authentic representation. Joining me to discuss this are Bethany Rutter, writer, podcaster and social editor at plus-size fashion brand Navabi, and Julia Ahrens, Stylus's own editor of Media and Marketing. First of all, Bethany, perhaps you could introduce us to the work you do by talking a bit about your books, um, the first of which Plus came out last year, and your debut novel, uh, which I believe is publishing very soon. It is. It's out on the 8th of August. Um, so, yeah, my t- I've kind of done a fiction and a non-fiction book. Last year I published a book called Plus, which was a kind of photo book of more than 100 cool plus-size women from around the world who were kind of talking about their style. Um, And I edited that, whereas my novel, I wrote it from my brain, all me. Um, And that's a young adult novel about a cool, fat teenage girl trying to navigate the world of romance. So what's um, motivated you to write? the novel and what how does that fit in with the, the work you do uh, at Navabi for instance so I feel like um, I was kind of talking to someone about this recently and I realized that like if you are fat plus size whatever I feel like it can for me it's kind of become my whole life in a way um, <clears throat> I feel like I spent the kind of the first part of my life trying to like distance myself from that And then as an adult, I've embraced it in a way that has meant that like my day job and like most of my kind of side hustly jobs have been to do with bodies and body image and fatness and body politics and stuff like that. So I feel like it was, yeah, it's kind of a natural starting point because I spend a lot of time like thinking and talking about that stuff anyway. And I'm really lucky to kind of have a day job where I get to do interesting things around bodies and clothes and then... Yeah, I feel like that's naturally what I, I'm interested in when I'm thinking about like other projects outside of work. Julia, this is a subject that's been addressed a lot more in pop culture right now. In fact, you recently published a report on Stylus about this very subject. So could you tell us a bit more about how media and entertainment is starting to sort of address this issue? Yeah, I mean, the operative word here is starting. Um, and while it is a lot more, we're still kind of talking about a handful of titles. We've had some great TV shows like Hulu's Shrill, which is based off of Lindy West's um, autobiographic um, essay collection starring Eddie Bryant from um, Saturday Night Live. And Dumplin' on Netflix last year. We've got um, a fat teenage girl in Booksmart. And there's not a single fat joke in the entire film, which is a complete novelty. But it's only just a couple of handful of titles. And... It's really pleasant to just see women who happen to be fat and then that isn't the core of the narrative. Um, It just plays into who they are as people, but we aren't making a film like Shallow Hell where it's, you know, the entire comedic anger that, oh, lol, that person is fat. But then, obviously, there's still a lot of work to be done here because with all of these titles we have right now, all of these lead women are still very white. So there's definitely um, a remaining growth factor yet to be had for more intersectionality and representation and just what sort of stories we tell and who gets to have a narrative focus on them, which will then also hopefully shift perceptions in society. So, yes, I mean, it's interesting that what you said at the end there, because I wanted to ask, like, what, you know, for both of you, what is, what is the, the, the ambition here? I mean, um, why is this right now uh, an imperative subject? And, and what's the, the goal 
for, for the work that you're seeing, Julia, and the work that you're actually doing, Bethany? Um, for me, I would say the goal is to kind of have meaningful, tangible impacts on the real barriers that are faced by people in kind of non-normative bodies, whatever that means. Like, I, f I feel like we spend quite a lot of time talking about, like, body confidence and, you know, um, body positivity. And that's kind of interesting up to a point, but it feels like that's become the whole narrative. Whereas for me, I'm really interested in things like access to healthcare, which is like woefully inadequate if you are anything above like an average weight. Um, the fact that like bigger people historically get paid less and get hired less often. And even, you know, really extreme things like you're more like if you're a fat woman on trial for murder, you're more likely to be found guilty than a thin woman um, just because of the, I don't know how we are perceived. Bitter. Yeah, bitter, evil, More unattractive, whatever, you know, it, yeah. just all of these wild things that are like very kind of tangible factors in the horrible world that we live in. And I think that's, for me, the imperative to kind of change how we think about everything in order to maybe improve those, those things in the world. I mean, these systemic issues in the background are... Because what's interesting is when you start telling stories about different demographics that previously we haven't been exposed to as heroes or even just characters, people, people. who show up in stories, people, yeah. like humans, then suddenly they become human and it's way harder to demonize those individuals. I mean, prejudice is always bred in ignorance and which is also why out of all these kind of, kind of titles that featured fat women recently, I quite enjoyed Dietland on AMC last year, which was unfortunately cancelled after a year. But what I most liked about it is because the AMC had um, that after-show show, which for things like The Walking Dead always used to be just focused on the plot. You would have people come together on a little panel and then they talk about the insane thing that just happened on the show. But for Dietland, they expanded that horizon a bit and they got in sociologists and psychologists and actually talked about the wider impacts of um, our social attitudes to fat bodies and beauty ideals and what it actually means to perform femininity. And I think once we get into that sort of background thinking is when it gets really interesting. And But you need cultural exposure to these narratives to even start talking about it. So the entertainment world then, I think, is starting to move in the right direction. But what about fashion and retail and other brands generally? I, I, I believe we're seeing a, a, f a few nods here and there in advertising, especially in fashion advertising, to more diverse body representation. But in, in your opinion, what campaigns and lines are starting to get this right? Um, it's really hard because like, I feel like I'm really lucky to work at a brand that does interesting things and works with interesting people but it yeah it feels like even within the like plus size space it's just it's really not great and some of the bigger UK brands are showing fewer and fewer of their plus size customers actual plus size influencers just using the kind of models from their site on their social who and plus size models are always much smaller than your average plus size women just the, in the way that models in general are smaller than average women um so it feels like even in the like plus size space like meaningful useful stuff around like fat bodies is really lacking um I feel like the kind of general um, fashion space, even worse. They, you know, brands will have like a main social page. And if they have a plus size range, they'll often have like a separate Instagram for their plus size range because it would somehow not fit with their brand identity to have that on you their main account. Leprosy Island where exactly. most people go. Yeah. <clears throat> 
And one of the brands that does that, I think, is um, In The Style. And they are bringing out some new range soon with like a kind of body confidence in inverted commas influencer who isn't plus size, who has a very like normative body. And like somehow I'm the bad guy for pointing out that that is not super useful. And um, yeah, I don't know. It just it feels like there's they're trying brands are trying to do so many different things while not really understanding why it's good and useful and meaningful to do any of them um so yeah it's it's a bit of a mess at the moment so it feels a bit tokenistic yeah it feels with non-plus size brands it feels tokenistic and with plus size brands it feels like they're often not really doing anything at all and like that's one of the reasons that i will you know try and work at navavi forever because it feels like i do get to do quite a lot of interesting stuff and maybe that's because I am a plus size woman who works at a plus size brand and I think that's part of the problem is that a lot of brands don't actually employ anybody from the demographic they're trying to sell to um but yeah. yeah this is a question I wanted to ask about you know where's the nub of this problem is it internal culture or is it a combination of that and you know cultural issues do you think that there's a lot of work that still needs to be done internally yeah I think it's probably both I think it's and those like feed off each other and that internally don't hire enough plus size people because culturally we are fat phobic and we don't think that fat people are as competent um and then also culturally we think that like if we you know if we kind of say that our brand is also for plus size women that would dilute how like cool and aspirational it is and obviously fashion is all about like being aspirational so i think it's all of those things like smushed up and coming together and what i mean do you have uh, insight into just to just to get sort of down to sort of brutal um commercial I- interest uh the size of this market right i mean there, there, there is a need for this sort of uh for, for, for retail and fashion to be embracing this because that there are it's there are cons- market, yeah, yeah consumers out there i mean do you, i don't know whether you have any data on that or no I, I off the top of my head i don't but i i was thinking about this only yesterday about how i can't tell if the failure to serve the plus size market is either like a failure of capitalism or it's proof of capitalism like mm-hmm. either like it's a failure in that brands are not making money where they could or it's just like proof that like only a certain kind of person is allowed to consume and be marketed to um i don't know I can't. I can't make but up my it mind. It still seems to be, you know, a certain kind of person is allowed to consume publicly and actually relate to the shop. I mean, there's quite a few high street chains who happen to have plus size clothes, but they're only available online. So yeah. rather than just being able to walk into the shop and buy a pair anything, of jeans yeah. or really anything, yeah, you have to go online and you have to pay five pounds delivery fee, and then it has to come and you have to try it on, and it has to be taken back to the shop, and it also just takes you out of. So much of social life, as a, you know, especially a girl growing up, so much of it is just shopping with your girlfriends, and you just stood in in a Zara, going, "Yeah, I'll, I'll just look at the scarves. Those are really nice scarves. I I'm love going earrings. to take a lot of time <laughs> yeah. trying those on. Love an earring. Love a pair of novelty sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. Those are amazing. And I mean, the I think the market size, the numbers that keeps being flung about, is twenty one billion dollars. Why wouldn't you want that? I mean, I know why you wouldn't want that because, again, fat bodies are so highly non-aspirational. And every time we show a happy fat person, everybody is hollering about us glorifying obesity when the conceit here presumably being if we are to assume that showing a happy fat person is glorifying obesity, then fat people have to be miserable until they're not fat any longer. I mean, that's what happened when um, here in London at the Nike flagship store, you had the plus-sized mannequin happening to wear Nike workout gear. 
And everybody just about had a coronary about how wrong it is to show a fat mannequin wearing a sports bra. It's like, what is it that you want? Do you want people to exercise and then maybe lose weight? Whether that's aspiration or not is an entirely different question. It's like, what about this? Is it that affronts you so much, the idea of a fat person existing right next to you? And that, yeah, as you can tell now, always gets me going. <laughs> um, Julia, I've wondered whether you want to sort of ask about the... Because the, this is your question, so... Um, the, the, about the movement and the impacts on the mainstream and messages becoming diluted and that and that aspect oh, yeah. of things, yeah. I mean, we touched about this earlier when you mentioned the campaign coming up now and the idea of body positivity being mainstreamed and who then is being left behind because this is a movement that was initially started chiefly by black women. Um, and, yeah, basically as... Con- capitalism and commercialism moves in who is most at danger of being left behind and what can brands do to mitigate that hopefully yeah i think um the most useful thing that brands can do is to expand their size range i think whatever they're doing with their marketing um i think i think one of the most annoying things in the kind of plus size fashion space is brands fundamentally not understanding like how what size people are or what size a person could be it's like they launch a plus size range and it stops at like a 22 24 and it's like they literally cannot conceive that someone could be bigger than that and be interested in their clothes but in general just couldn't exist um so i think expanding size ranges is like the first step and then addressing like how their marketing is done and who is considered to be like an influencer and who is considered to be aspirational and whether at first you know they just have to do it and who cares if it's tokenistic and then it becomes part of their like the way that they operate um I think just getting it done in the first place it feels like we're still so far away from that that I just want it to happen Mm. I also always find that the extending of body positivity at the moment to just be as you mentioned earlier about you know self-love and you just have to appreciate your own body which obviously you know one would want anybody to not hate themselves and the body they've been given but um that dimension of body positivity always feels to me like the empowerment level of feminism it's like the lean in it's like it's fine this works for people who already have bodies that don't struggle with um seatbelts on airplanes who can just walk into a shop and buy a white t-shirt whenever they need to be who get hired um, and aren't thought of as less competent due to their body shape. But I think if we don't pay attention to the very real social circumstances under which that hatred for one's body might come about, we are completely, again, just excluding people who started this movement to begin with. And at the moment, often these sort of body positivity campaigns feels like, you know, when your older sibling punches you with your own hand and goes, wait, stop punching yourself, stop hitting yourself, you're hurting yourself. I'm not hurting me. Everything around me is hurting me. And that's the problem we actually need to address. Yeah. From sort of culture background. I mean, like the... um, there's the American plus size um, retailer Eloki, who recently started a campaign just highlighting professional fat women and telling sort of their biographies and background stories and the things they've achieved professionally, all based off of um, research that they've commissioned that highlighted stuff like only 15% of employees would actually hire a fat woman. And I think if we actually start to look at the impact that attitudes have on these people who happen to be in somewhat marginalized bodies, we are in a much better position to change these narratives yeah that's the thing like 
body positivity and body confidence, like that's fine, but no amount of me loving myself is going to change the way that the world responds to me or like what all of these kind of very tangible barriers that I experience to things that I need in my life. Like I'm not registered with a GP because um, I am too scared because I know that anytime I go, I will get a lecture about my weight and I probably won't get, you know, any kind of treatment for the thing that I'm there for. Like, that's absurd. Like, I'm an adult. I'm a very confident adult. And I'm, like, still too scared to, like, go to the doctor. So it doesn't matter how much I love myself or how many books I write or how many, like, furious tweets I do. Like, that doesn't, like, body positivity has not helped me with that in any way. I mean, I've moved a year ago and I've only just registered with a GP because the previous one recommended I try weight loss for my migraine. Yeah. Which is an illness that... As a profession in medicine, we still don't know where it comes from, but I'm sure it must, it must be, be my ours. Yeah, yeah, it has to be. There's no way it's not. So I think one of the issues here is nuance, which is not something that brands traditionally do very well. I mean, you talk about the, the TV shows that you mentioned where you can tell stories that are more complex and authentic. Um, but when it comes to the basics of advertising and product design and marketing, that gets lost. Um, is there a way for brands... I mean, I guess... We're going back to this idea of, of who they should be working with and what sort of people um, can inform them in the right way about these these issues. And, and perhaps you could just sort of discuss the, the, the other people that you've come across who you think are part of the solution rather than part of a, 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 rather than adding to the problem in terms of influencers and uh, people in the movement. I think like something that is really useful and it, obviously it's painful because nobody likes criticism but I think like brands could do a lot by just observing the reaction to things they do rather than automatically kind of being defensive and being like but we're doing something. I think influencers do a lot of work for free just by talking to each other online and by having conversations about campaigns. Um the way that they respond to them, I think, is like an enormous amount of free education for brands. And, of, yeah, obviously brands don't like it when a kind of body positive campaign gets dragged for being like very white or very thin or, you know, somehow homogenous. But like all you need to do is like take that on board and do better next time and then you'll get the sweet, sweet retweets that you have been craving the whole time. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, <clears throat> that's what seems... That's what seems sort of baffling to me in a way because it's an industry that thrives on creativity or says it thrives on creativity and is always looking for the new idea, the new angle and a different perspective. Yet they so often fall back on stereotypes to tell these stories that they think are kind of radical and new and interesting but the the foundation of it is still based around the, the same sort of imagery that we've always seen and there's such an opportunity here um, and across lots of other different areas where underserved voices have you know, not being amplified enough, where brands and creatives can start to think about some new ideas for their for their work. I mean, I have just seen a great case study um, on this in Cannes, which is, interestingly enough, the latest um, evolutionary step of Dove's entire body positivity campaign because they've just partnered with Getty Images to start their hashtag show us campaign to diversify commercial imagery on Getty's um, image library and they've worked together with I think over 200 um, female or non-binary identifying photographers shooting very body diverse models and then I think the operative and interesting thing is they then let those models tag their own images on the bank and I think just that very simple step which you know should have been so obvious probably years decades ago just people choose their own labels and 
choose how they want to be seen and found by the world is very much a step in the right direction. And also Dove and Getty are both committed to maintaining this library. They're going to return parts of the income from um, brands using this imagery back into hiring new photographers to grow the bank. And really, it's really fundamental stuff like that to just actually not only use people's imagery, but also to having them choose how they want their own voice and presence to be heard, where real potential for change lies, hopefully. Yeah, it's brilliant. I mean, I think... It seems to me that the you know we write about this on Stylus a lot that the the younger generation coming up the the gen the Gen Z generation for them this is a given you know this kind of inclusivity diversity seeing beyond typical labels and so on it seems to be a bit of a a given and will change things but it's it's taking time for them to to move into the workforce and into advertising and into media. Um, do, I mean, do you feel positive in that respect about what change may come as a result of this? Yeah, I hope so. I hope that, like, growing up on the internet where you are hearing such a, like, diversity and multiplicity of opinions and voices, I feel like people are learning things much quicker um, and being exposed to much more interesting ideas. So I hope that that kind of changes like work culture and um yeah i'm hopeful i hope that's not naive of me Are you, I mean, you have to be hopeful i am hopeful yeah much like you also just said the the sort of the long tail of content and just being exposed to so much more you know different perspectives fresh angles and just being able to step into experience and you're not as a kid growing up, you're not reliant on whatever's being shown on your TV that Saturday afternoon. You can go on TikTok and see a hundred different creators telling their story within like 30 seconds. And it's not like me as a kid where, you know, whenever I watched a movie, I had to latch onto the one fat girl in the background somewhere. It's like, oh yeah, she's the the little, the whipping boy, but I love her because she kind of looks like me. So I'm personally very much looking forward to your book. I'm, I'm a bit sad that I'm missing the publishing deadline with my holiday, but I guess I'll just have to take off a day at work to read it. Yeah. So what what sparked this desire in you? What was the defining moment that made you go, this is the story I want to tell? And how do you set about making that reality? What were you considering as you were preparing for it? I thought, if I only ever write one book in my life, what is the one story that I would quite like to tell? And it ended up being this. Um, I guess, you know, being a teenager is kind of weird and difficult for everyone. And it kind of in some ways sets the tone for parts of your adult life and the kind of interactions and relationships you have, the way that you deal with things. And I guess I just felt like it was a really cool way for me to maybe like right the wrongs of, you know, things that I, decisions I made or if I could kind of project that onto a new character who isn't me but gets to like live a life similar to mine um so I guess I was when I was writing it I was thinking like how do I balance wanting to do the right thing in this story with not being like a boring grown-up lecturing teenagers about like the correct path to follow in your life or like the right decisions to make and it is because you know writing for teenagers is kind of different to writing for adults and you have a lot of responsibility and I just thought like what is a useful voice and story for me to like adopt to communicate in a natural way with young people and yeah I hope I have achieved that but yeah what's it called it's called no big deal it's published by Macmillan Children's um 
It has a very cool red and pink cover, which I'm very happy about. It's very um, Insta-friendly. It's very Insta-friendly. Of course it I is. was very lucky with that. But yeah, um, I love it and I hope that it like resonates with adults as well as young people. Great. Well, good luck with the success of the novel and I'd like to thank my guests Bethany Rutter and Julia Ahrens and thank you for listening. I hope you'll join us next time for more Future Thinking from Stylus. You've been listening to Future Thinking from Stylus, the show where our analysts, alongside industry thought leaders, unpack the big trends you need to know about. Find out more about what the future holds for your business at stylus.com. And if you like what you heard today, make sure you subscribe to Future Thinking in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear new episodes as soon as they're available. 